You didn't use one Bible verse. You didn't even read John 3:16. What kind of Christian witness is that? And I said, you see, you're mad I'm not using Bible verse to defend the scientific thing for God. And they said, yeah. And I said, you do know the audience we're speaking to. They're atheists. They don't believe in the Bible. If I quote the Bible to them, it means yeah. nothing. But they believe in logic. Thus, I used logic to do this and, and showed them that. And they're like, oh, yeah. I guess that makes sense. Yeah. This is Better Wealth with Caleb. Hey everybody, I am obviously not in the studio. I'm here with a good friend, brother in Christ, uh, Michael Lane. Uh, we have a ministry called Evidence for Faith, and this whole podcast is not going to be money related. So if you're if you're just following uh, Better Wealth for money tips and strategies, this is probably a podcast that you may want to skip if you're not interested in any of the stuff that we're talking about. We always talk about intentional living. We especially talk about you are financially free when you're living an intentional life. And it's been very, very clear to me and on my heart that it's like, if God's going to bless us with wealth and money and influence, what are we going to do with it? Michael has been a game changer in my life. Um, when we, we, we went to a ministry, a camp that uh, you were very involved in uh, when I grew up. And I remember going to class after class after class. Um, and your, your uh, teachings and Bible studies were some of the few studies that I was like, man, I, I didn't want the time to go. Like I was looking at the clock and I'm like, this, I wish time would go slower because you put so much time and energy into the studies. And um, I am, uh, have a, a better quality of faith and have a better understanding of why I believe in, in, in the Bible and, and, and just character because of you. And so it became very evident that um, there, there was a season in your life that you could be used better in this ministry and that we could start um, doing things like videos and podcasts and um, all these cool things on the internet. And so overall, that's just the update of like where, where you're at, why we're doing the podcast. And I'm going to be interviewing Michael, sharing his story, what he's passionate about. Um, we'll invite you guys to support our ministry if that's something that you'd be open to doing. And then we also have some trips, i.e. we're going to Israel uh, next year, and we have other trips to come depending on when you're watching this. And so we would love if it's, it's, it's something that you're interested in to let us know. We're in the Florida Keys right now because one of the specialties that you do is, is the uh, marine biology trip. You do this with high school and uh, some college students. And so it's really cool to see um, that we've gotten in the water and done some really cool things. And so with that, it's good to have you here, man. Hey, good to be here. I mean, it's warm here. There's no snow here. There's coconut trees. <laughs> it's, it's warm, but it's funny because this is the last day I'm like here, the full day I'm here, and it's like the windiest day. So we're yeah. like, well, well, let's hope that the audio works. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, but overall, let, let, let me take a step back. Mm -hmm. um, you've been doing this trip since the 80s. 1987 was the first one. Yeah. And, and explain a little bit about what the marine biology trip is and like how it got started. Well, I used to live in the Bahamas, and that's where I met my wife, Denise. And I taught biology at a private Christian school down there. And I absolutely love the ocean. I mean, I have always loved the ocean. But uh, when I left the Bahamas and came back to the States, on the last day I was in the Bahamas, I was standing uh, about knee deep on one of the beaches, just standing in the water, and I said, I have got to do something when I go back to the States, I have got to do something to get kids to see this type of an environment, to, to be able to experience this environment. And so I made that vow 
And then in 1987, I met a man who was a teacher in a school in Indiana who was doing a program like this. Yeah. And he invited me along and he says, why don't you come in and see you know, our program? And I did. And I worked with him for a couple of years, but then I was like, you know, I really want to do my own. There's, there's things I want to put into this and I want to do my own. So that's how this thing actually started. And it, I was at a public school at the time in Illinois and the school jumped on board with this, like, yeah, this sounds great. And then I left that school, went to another school, and they said, yeah, let's go ahead and do this. So that's how it went. And then when I went to the, um, working at the Christian camp, we did it there. And now we're with Evidence for Faith, and we're doing it there. So it's, yeah, since uh, the first trip was in 87. So it's been a number of years doing this. What's really cool is this trip is a ministry because Mm -hmm. people, in in most cases, get high school credit. Has anyone got college credit from being here? Yes, they have. It's mm-hmm. incredible. Like the quality of education is incredible here. And so you have people that are believers, homeschoolers, non-believers, public schoolers coming on this trip. They're getting an amazing experience. But I mean, I've, I've witnessed every day we have a Bible study. Yes. And this is not just a, a read a verse and like, just kind of like, you know, what do you think of this? It's like a study and we're going through some inc- like incredible teaching. And I'm thinking... I can't imagine whether you're a believer, it's going to encourage you so much to embrace your faith. And if you're a non-believer, it's going to really get you to start questioning why you believe in what you believe in. How many people do you think have come to know Christ or rededicated their life on just this trip alone? Oh my gosh, I, that is a huge number <laughs> for all these years. We had so many people who came to a saving knowledge of Jesus on this trip. Uh, matter of fact, just last night, after our Bible session last night, we broke up into small groups, and one of the, the leaders of the group told me this morning, they said, I didn't see you after the thing, but i got to tell you what happened. We've been doing a series, as you know, called Give Me a Reason to Believe, and it's all about reasons to believe in the Bible. So we started off with um, the historical accuracy using artifacts and manuscripts, showing that the Bible is real like that. We talked about um, evidence that the resurrection really occurred. Last night we were doing one on the prophecies uh, of different kingdoms yep. that God, through his word, predicted would come and go. Well, before that we did messianic prophecies and saw how Jesus fulfilled these. Well, last night, after the one with all the different kingdoms, one of the students, high school students, said to my, um, to my teacher, says, as they were talking about it, says, I've, I've come to realize something. So much of this Bible stuff is real and it's documented. I'd never heard any of this before. And he said to her, I really think this has got to be the real answer to everything, that this is real. But how many people have come to that over the years? I don't know, because every year I write a whole new Bible series for this. And um, just praying for God to put something on my heart to help these. And I knew we had a number of people who are not walking with God or not even born-again Christians on this trip. So that's why give me a reason to believe, I thought, was where the Lord was leading me. One of the studies that I witnessed and actually recorded, um, you you talked about like an impossibility or maybe you'll have to fill this in like it's it's like this is something that science says is absolutely impossible like we talked about it is possible if you flip a coin for it to be heads like a thousand times a million times even like a billion times it's a possibility even though we know like probability that's literally impossible Mm -hmm. and then you showed how there is over 200 prophecies yes 200 prophecies in the bible that were fulfilled and you went through 25 in detail. Like we went to the scripture, this is the prophecy, and then this was the fulfillment on the prophecy. And we looked, we witnessed in real life, 
um, you first lay the groundwork of like how these things were written before, because that's you know people are always throwing curveballs and saying the Bible's not true and all this stuff. So the first thing that you do is lay out that the Bible is written. It was written by multiple authors, and it was written you know in the past, and what they said in the past came true, and the probability of that happening is scientifically impossible. Yeah. And you've right. done that day after day after day. We've looked at multiple areas. And that's what I love so much about your study is you love Jesus. You like It's fun to see you worship him, but you worship him through actually teaching and studying his word, looking at history, um, teaching about him from a non-biblical standpoint. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I love how all these areas flow into maybe the Bible is true. And if the Bible says is true, we should like that. Our whole life changes. Yeah. And you just start implanting those those in our in our brain, not from a standpoint of just get the feeling or just trust, but here's give me a reason to believe and trust. Mm-hmm. And I just obviously I'm getting really excited about it because it became really clear to me if we are going to make a difference in the kingdom of God, let's. There's a lot of great ministries out there, but there's not a ton of um, ministries focused on apologetics and creating evidence um, from a non-confrontational way, but just like here's the facts and giving people equipping them to really know why they believe is true. Right. Like on the first night, when we were talking about the different manuscripts, I related a story where I was invited to go to a major university um, by navigators, uh, was invited to come onto campus, they had an auditorium set up, and I talked about, uh, they asked me to talk about how we got the Bible, and is the Bible accurate? And so I brought all these artifacts, um, like ancient scrolls that have been found, and manuscripts of the Bible, and well, as I was standing in the back, there was a guy, a professor of history, who he didn't know who I was. He didn't know I was a speaker, obviously. And he said, yeah, I'm here tonight to listen to this guy because I teach on this. But he says, I don't know if you're aware. He did not know I was a speaker. And he says, I don't know if you're aware, but the Hebrew people didn't even have a written language until 425 BC after the Babylonian captivity. And I go, really? He goes, oh yeah, yeah. And he's just going on and on. And then I get up there and I show that the Hebrew people through these ostracons, broken pieces of pottery with Hebrew writing on them, dating back hundreds of years before that. And now just, even just recently, we used this. Um, this week, just a month ago, was a new discovery on Mount Ebal of a little um, called the Curse Amulet from yeah. Joshua chapter eight. Yeah. I mean, this is back in the time of Moses and stuff, and it's written in a proto-Hebrew. The Hebrew people did have a written language. The guy afterwards came up after the thing was over, and he says, I gotta tell you, this was fantastic. I've learned so much. And he asked me a few pointed questions. I gave him answers, and he says, I can't even refute this because you're showing me archeological evidence that supports all this. And he says, I'd love to talk more, but he says, I need to leave. And I said, oh, you got an early class? He says, well, I do have that, but I gotta go back right now while this is fresh in my mind and rewrite my lecture. <laughs> so I was like, wow, cool. <laughs> T- tell the story about when you went to the Atheist Club. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and that, that's, but that's what I want you to know is a lot of people, they have their bullet points, but you, like every study that you've done, you've done hundreds and thousands of actual studies that through this ministry we're digitizing and all, giving you guys the ability to consume it so that you can have a better understanding of why you believe what you believe. But one of my favorite stories is when you got invited to go to an atheist club and you, I'll let you tell the rest of the story. Yeah, I got a phone call one day from some person. I had no idea who he was. and. He introduced himself as the president of the Atheist Club at this major university. And I'm like, right, <laughs> who is this really? And they, he said, I want you to come. Would you be willing to come? We'll pay for, for your travel and everything. We'll take your, pay your expenses. Will you come and speak to our group? On what? 
and I, he said, um, well, we understand that you used to be a Darwinian evolutionist and didn't believe that God you know, created everything as a creationist does, but now you're a creationist and we want to know how you came to this conclusion. We would like to know, is there any evidence that you can give that there really is a God? And I said, well, he sounded legit and everything, and I said, well, if this is really what you're wanting, I, I, yeah, I'll be glad to come and do it. So they gave me two nights to speak, and I got there, and I had some Christians who came with me as support, and there were some at the university that came, and even beforehand, we met, and we prayed about it and everything, and I got up there, and what I did is I totally approached it, um, evidence that for a God, but not using science, because science cannot prove, technically prove, you can't see God crawling out of a test tube or a beaker. So what I did is I used logic and went through logic explaining for two nights that um, the evidence of God. Afterwards, when it was all over, a couple of really amazing things happened. One, the president and the vice president of their club and everything came up to me and they said, that was absolutely amazing. They said, we had no idea that there, you know, this, this approach and stuff. And the whole point was they had challenged some of the Christian groups on campus for a debate on the evidence of God. Now I'm finding out that's why they wanted me to come because they wanted to find out what, what was gonna happen at the debate. So the president says, are these people we're going to be debating going to use stuff like this? And I go, I don't know what they're doing, but I'm just telling you there is logical conclusion to this. If Spock on Star Trek was given this information, Spock would have to agree that there is logical evidence there is a God. But then he said, I think we have to change the name of our club from the atheist club to the agnostic club because none of this could have happened out of nothing. You have shown us there has to be some type of an intelligent designer that is out there. But what, the sad part of this whole point, because I'm like, this is fun. But what happened afterwards, we went out to eat. The Christian fellows and stuff, we all went out to eat. And one of the people said to me, I'm, I'm really sort of shocked, Michael, at the way you presented your information for this. And I said, how so? You didn't use one Bible verse. You didn't even read John 3:16. What kind of Christian witness is that? And I said, you see, you're mad I'm not using Bible verse to defend the scientific thing for God. And they said, yeah. And I said, you do know the audience we're speaking to. They're atheists. They don't believe in the Bible. If I quote the Bible to them, it means yeah. nothing. But they believe in logic. Thus, I used logic to do this and, and showed them that. And they're like, oh, yeah. I guess that makes sense. Yeah, and that's what I love about you're, you're meeting people where they're at. And that's, uh, qu quite frankly, I would challenge you. It's whatever you believe in, whether you identify as a believer or some other religion. Do you know why you believe that? Or are you just doing that because that's what your parents got brought up or that's a feeling that you feel? And that's something that I've been convicted about is like, I grew up in an amazing Christian home. Um, I met you through just our upbringing. Yeah. Um, and I, there was many times where I just checked the boxes, like I'm just gonna do the, I'm just gonna go through emotions and check the box. I had a great upbringing, but I, there was something deeper. And it was like, I rem remember when I accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, I was like, I'm gonna dedicate my life to this. And I don't want to dedicate my life to a feeling or a, something that I should probably do. Like, I have one life. I want to live it the best I can. And if Jesus Christ is Lord, and if the Bible is true, that's a, what he's saying in the Bible is, is insane in a way of like, it's, it's, it should capture our attention and we should dedicate our life to it. And if not, why would I waste my time on, on all these some people call it hoops. Why would I waste my time worshiping a God that doesn't even exist? Yeah. So true. So true. Let's let's go back and let's now get your story of like, who are you? How did you, I mean, you were 
a, an amazing teacher and that was a great teacher before you even were a believer. And so talk about your upbringing and, and how God has used you and to impact people on the science realm and the Christian realm and all of that. I'll just let you talk about your story in a nutshell for the listeners. And by the way, it's windy. We got a helicopter flying over yeah. us. So hopefully you can hear us. We might just be having a fun little conversation that will just be between us. Um, but yeah, your story. Yeah. The Coast Guard comes around every now and then. They're checking out boats that are traveling around looking for rescues and stuff, I guess. But yeah. Um, well, I, I grew up actually in a Christian family and very, very devout Christian family. And I, I grew up uh, in programs like Awanas, memorizing scripture, all this, Sunday school. That's what I grew up in. But when I um, got to college, and unfortunately it was a Christian college, private Christian university, um, they taught me that the Bible, the first 11 chapters of Genesis, is not really authentic, that it's, it's allegory, it's not actually historical events, that God used Darwinian evolution, and that's how he created things and, and stuff. And so they really got me questioning. And the thing is, as a college student, as most college students, I just took whatever the professors, because they're educated, I took whatever the professor said and just accepted it without question. I just accepted it. And so I left the Christian university no longer believing in God's uh, being the creator God. And I had problems deep inside, but it was, that's what I was doing. And now I'm out teaching students, biology students, and some things that pain me still to this day is, for instance, one time as I was teaching this in a biology class um, about Darwinian evolution, um, one of my students came up afterwards and said to me, wow, uh, Mr. Lane, thank you so much for, for teaching me this because now I have a reason not to believe in the Bible. And when he said that, boy, I'll tell you, it was just like, something's not right. I was just startled. And I felt, this is not right. But then, yeah, I, God really tremendously blessed my teaching career. I, I don't even know, to be totally honest, I don't even know how many teaching awards I have. I, I really don't. I don't display them. They're all in a box. I don't even know where they are. Denise, my wife, probably could tell you, but I don't know because I don't want to look at them because it's too easy to get full of pride that way. And that's just what God gave me. It's nothing I earned. So I don't even want to look at stuff like that. But it was after I had become the recipient of a major national award, I got to work in the field of research. And I worked in, I took classes in molecular biology, microbiology, more stuff. And I worked in fisheries genetics. And when I was working in this and working on my master's, um, thesis, and I was running into problems with it because I was working in the field of evolution, mm -hmm. trying to show how evolution occurs uh, in fish, and I was having all sorts of problems. So um, at this point, also, I used to debate not, uh, Christian. I used to debate Christians my, on Darwinian evolution versus creationism, and I always picked out my targets carefully. I went after pastors. I did. I intentionally went after pastors. <laughs> Now, at this point, to be totally honest, I still considered myself a born-again Christian. Okay. I believe I was. But, boy, I would be what Peter would have called a baby Christian because I did not believe in the first 11 chapters of Genesis. And so um, in these debates, I never lost a debate at one of these church functions. Never once did I lose a debate. I won every single time. Because to be honest, it was so simple to throw science papers and stuff at pastors, and they had no idea on how to come back. And there were certain things I would always, believe it or not, I would pray before a debate would go on, please, Lord, don't let them ask me this, or don't let, me, don't let them oh, ask wow. me that. And they never did. <laughs> it's so sad, but they never did. Because I didn't have answers for things like yeah. that. But anyway, 
I was struggling because uh, it, it research and then at this, the last debate I did like this, there was some guy, I have no idea who he was, he came up to me afterwards at the end of the debate and he says to me, uh, congratulations, you really embarrassed our pastor and our elders and our, Bible, uh, our Sunday school teachers really well. Um, that was really interesting how you did that. And he says, do you believe in the Bible? I said, yeah, but the first 11 chapters of the Bible I think are open interpretation. I believe it's allegory. It is not historical fact. And he goes, okay. Then he asked me a couple of questions, one of which was, well, if, if that is true, then why does Paul in the book of Romans, we're not talking Genesis here, we're talking Romans, why does Paul say that um, death is a result of sin, and if there was no sin, uh, there would be no death, but Paul goes on to say that um, Christ had to come and conquer death, and if there was no death, then why did Christ have to come and, and suffer and die? And he didn't go into detail, he just basically just left it that, turned around, walked away, which was good because I had no response for him. Yeah. If if death, according to Darwinian evolution, if death has been going on for millions of years, then Paul is saying death was something that was God's creation, that death is a natural and good thing and it's part of his creation, it's a beautiful thing. Well, death isn't. Anyone who's experienced anybody close to him dying. That's not beautiful, that is not nice. That is, a lot of people get angry with God over things like this. Mm -hmm. But Paul specifically says that that the, um, Christ came to conquer death. Christ came to conquer you know, the sin. He died for our sins. It was all related. And at that time, in research, I had the opportunity to have a meal, a dinner with Dr. Sidney Fox and his wife, who Nobel Prize winning laureates. They, these guys are brilliant. And they worked on the early earth theories of how life formed. And I got to have questions or uh, dinner with him so I could ask questions. And there were some things that I just asked. I said, I don't understand a little bit about this evolution stuff that I've been teaching for years about how, you know, the first life form could possibly form on this planet out of nothing. And I, now he had done work with protocells and stuff like this. And he says, well, the, the thing is, he says, Michael, the thing is, we know, those of us who are in this, we really know deep down, this is not how life could have began here. You're never going to get DNA this way. All living things have DNA. This is not going to work. He pointed me to a couple of other papers to read, and some from people at NASA. And he says, we know that the early Earth wasn't like what you see in a textbook, that life didn't form the way it says in a textbook. And so that was happening, this debate happened, and all this stuff, my research was hitting dead ends, and I'm like, something's not right. And then you look at this thing called the, the metabolic pathway of all the chemical reactions occurring inside of a cell. Big, massive chart, huge thing with listing all these enzymes and how it all works as a flow chart. That everything has to be already set up before life can even begin. And I'm like, there has to be a God. So even on my one in my classroom, I put above the, that chart at that time, I made a little post-it note on a thing called Print Shop, if anybody remembers this old computer program, making banners, and I, I wrote, there is a God, and I put that above there because it and shows And you were allowed me. to do that in public school? Well, I didn't get in trouble right away. Okay. I had oh, Bible what, verses all over my what, room. What year was this? What year was this? That was probably, well, the, the dinner with the Nobel laureate was probably around 89. The debate happened in 89. So all this was happening right around the same time in 1989. Okay, and so you obviously have always wanted to be truth. Like, you, you just want to do the right thing. Right. Like you don't have an agenda from a standpoint of like, trust me, it's, e it's not always easy to teach what we're teaching. 
That is true. Um, <laughs> so and true. Especially as a scientist who's like, I mean, I've seen you, like, you know your stuff and you probably get put into a category of this wacky scientist that doesn't know science and all this stuff. So from there, this commitment of like, okay, I like obviously some people ask you questions and it got you thinking, but when did you really shift your attention and when did you start teaching? Because how many studies have you, do you think you've written on apologetics and just Bible studies in general? Well, Since I know that, that there's, I got asked a couple of years ago, how many Bible studies have I, and lessons have I written? So I, um, I sat down at the computer and just started counting, and I actually stopped before I got to the end because I realized, I, I estimated it was probably 700 or 800, and it was easily, I could see by the numbers, I was going to hit probably close to 2,000, yeah. just Bible lessons. And they asked me about science lessons um, that I have taught and developed, and I have even, I've published um, in, in journals and stuff, um, peer-reviewed journals, different science protocols and papers and, and things. And I have several hundred science lessons and yeah, archaeology lessons. Yeah. Um, there's, well, I've written two books, The Stones Bear Witness yeah. and, really catchy, More Stones Bear Witness. <laughs> yeah, I'm real good with titles. <laughs> but, um, and I'm writing a third one right now. But um, there's quite a few chapters there and probably about a hundred specific archaeological lessons. As a matter of fact, that's what tonight's Bible lesson is going to be on. Archaeological evidence that the Bible is true. Uh, showing artifacts and and things that have been discovered from the 1800s to even just a couple of weeks yeah. ago. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So one of the things is looking at looking at this ministry, and I want you to speak a little bit to it, but the whole concept is evidence for faith. Again, we're not we're not going to win any creative awards here, but it's like we, we want to be a ministry that produ produces evidence so that you know why you believe in what you believe. And it's, again, we're not in the convincing game. We just we want to show you like life is incredibly important and this decision is the most important decision of your life. Make sure you understand why you're making that decision. So we look at the Bible and obviously if the Bible is not accurate, if it's not true, then we shouldn't be believing it. Right, exactly. We look at that. We look at history. Hmm. We say did the Bible and history, like, did that, is that accurate? We look at archaeology. We look at science. We look at, you know, what do you call it? Phil philosophical logic. Th logic. I use logic a lot. And, and it's like, all of these should just help with the conversation. It shouldn't be contradicting because that's mm -hmm. the number one thing people say. Well, like, yeah, the Bible just is not accurate. And it's like, there's science and history and, and people will throw that out there. And, it, and it's frustrating because e even someone who's like, I, I probably know more than the average Joe when it comes to the Bible and history and all those things. Like, I, like, that was frustrating for me. It's like, man, I don't feel confident standing up on stage debating someone or knowing why I believe. And so then I'm just kind of going back to, this is what I feel like. And that's not, I don't like that. And that's, mm -hmm. not, that's not great as we're going out and sharing the gospel. It's like, it, it's all built on a house of cards that could fall. And so the purpose of this ministry is to really equip pastors and um, people that are going to school and anyone that professes to be a believer or not to either number one equip you to know why you believe in what you believe or or number two help you understand that you need to go on your knees and ask that Jesus comes into your life and know yeah. why you're doing that sorry for stealing all your thunder but oh, like, that's fine. like talk about like the the why behind this ministry and yeah you know well when we when we started this we were trying to figure out and I mean for one I remember when when you came in and 
and initiated the whole conversation about starting this ministry, I was, I was sort of taken aback because I thought you were asking me for somebody who I could recommend to you to do this. And I was thinking, as he's asking somebody who can do these things, and I'm sitting here, okay, well, who do I know? <laughs> And then he said, no, I want you to do it. And I'm like, man, I'm 63 years old, you know? <laughs> Why are you getting an ancient flatulent? Uh, nice way of saying old fart. But <laughs> Why are you getting someone like me to do it? But it definitely, because we prayed about it and everything, and that's God put it upon our hearts that this is what he wanted me to do. So, but what it is was putting together and doing this ministry from four perspectives. And we came up with these four pillars, as you just mentioned, science, um, history, and archeology. span The Bible itself is able to stand up. I mean, it has for centuries. Leaders, politicians, dictators, emperors have tried to destroy it. It's still the number one best-selling book in the entire world. There's gotta be some reason for that. And then logic itself. So that's why we have evidence four, and that's the number four, the four for the, our title, that's where it comes from. And all of these are pointing from, to evidence that these things are real. So we had this, this uh, early discussions on this to set up this type of a ministry using these four pillars. And God has blessed us tremendously. Just, we're not even a year old. We started May 1st of last year. That would have been 2021. And so far in this year, we're still in our first year, I have been allowed to to actually present over 100 lessons in live not recordings yeah just live lessons i've been you told me i would be busy and i was wow <laughs> never dreamed this was going to happen but over 100 people um, or number num, 100 times i've been asked to go and speak um, i've also we've been putting the podcast together and i mean which is interesting i i didn't even know what a podcast was <laughs> It's not something you read in a textbook or see in a microscope. So I didn't know what one was. It had to be explained to me about six times. Really? They can hear me? <laughs> I think, yeah, I'm not the most technologically advanced person. If you want to do a gel electrophoresis or separate DNA, hey, I'm your guy. But that, but we have podcasts and we have the videos. And um, now we're, we're putting together, we just published a marine biology book for this course. And... Um, we, we've got more things that we're planning to do and more lessons. But God has just opened up so many things, and the whole point is to try to get people to see that there really is evidence. Because what happens is people take hearsay. That the How many times I have heard, science has disproved the Bible. Science has disproved the Bible. And I have challenged colleagues, scientists, friends of mine, show me a science error, a provable science error in the Bible. They think once in a while they get something. And then I say, okay, this is probably, and this is likely a translation error. Let's go back to the original Hebrew and see what it is. And a lot of times that clears up the problem. They say, oh, wow, uh, the Bible was accurate. Or they'll say like, well, science says this. Well, the Bible says this. Well, guess what? If you go back and you'll see science for the longest time, for centuries was saying the wrong thing. What am I talking about? Science for centuries used to say there was only 1,026 stars in the entire universe. And that was on all the history, or all the, all the exams in, in astronomy and in science. How many stars are there? 126, really? I mean, what, Ptolemy, the guy who counted these things out, one night went out with a bucket of chicken back in the time of Christ, right around in there, went out with a bucket of chicken, spread out a blanket, sat down and counted the stars. Believe it or not, that's how pretty much it was done. Though it probably wasn't a bucket of chicken, it was probably pizza or something. But anyway, that's how they came up with it. And it was just, just carried on through science for centuries. And now we got the space telescope up there and we're like, holy cow, we can't count the stars. 
But you go back to the book of, uh, you know, you look in the Bible and it says the stars are countless. You can't count the stars. I had a question this week. A person said when we were talking a little bit about this, and he says, well, is that why God, all, well, why, I understand about the stars, but why does God also con, concern like infinity in a way to grains of sand? Like you can't count the grain of sand. Many times that's an analogy made in the Bible that God uses it to indicate, you know, eternity. Um, grains of sand, because they said, even though there's a lot, you could probably sit down and count them. I said, no, there's parrotfish out here in the ocean that bites off pieces of coral every day. All these parrotfish going around, and they bite off the coral, they grind up the organic uh, animals and stuff in it, they swallow the whole thing, they digest the organics of these animal remains and algae, and they excrete sand. So more sand is being added every day. Thus, the number of sand is constantly increasing as this goes on. You, you know, uh, there's things like that, and they're like, wow, I didn't know that. And I said, well, that's why you're down here studying marine biology. <laughs> what, what's, so, what's so interesting is um, whether you're a science person or whether you just want to better understand how the Old Testament doesn't contradict but just adds to the New Testament. And it's like, mm -hmm. that was probably one of my favorite studies It's just reading the prophecies and reading what was written about and then showing either history or at the actual bible and how it came true yeah and it's just like and and if we can prove that those are written those are authentic which there's there's a lot of proof there if we can prove that and we can go through that logical step of you start here and then you build upon it build upon it build upon it you really truly build a case that's rock solid and that's what I just appreciate about you, because there's definitely like I love the pastors and people out there that are reading the word and that are that are their gifts are worship and their gifts are you know sharing the gospel. But there, there's a crisis that we have, a crisis when it comes to someone accepting Jesus or wanting something more, and then really not being able to grow or not really knowing where to start. And this is the whole purpose of the ministry is truly to equip people so that they can take that next step and and teach debate. Yeah serve, share the gospel, be better spouses and siblings. And so anything else that you want to say as it relates to this ministry, what God's put on your heart, any fun facts before we wrap this well, thing up? Well, one thing that really, this, this has happened a couple of times, and it's just what you're just saying just sort of reminded me of, of one of these events. I was at a, this is when I was, uh, just before I went to the, the um, mission field working at a camp. Um, I'm still teaching school at a teacher convention. I'm standing there with a, a group of teachers. Now, these are all very highly educated people. And we're standing around, and someone says to me, um, like, uh, I, I don't know what I said, but someone says to me, are you a Christian? And I said, yeah. And he, like, this guy's a Christian. This guy's a Christian. And I'm like, okay, what's the matter? Are you going to, you know, <laughs> take me out and stake me to a ground or something? Are you going know, to pour honey on my head and let the ants get me? What are you talking about? And they said, well, you, why do you believe the Bible is real? Why do you believe the Bible's real? And I said, well, for one, as you just mentioned, the prophecies. And they said, what kind, of, what kind of prophecies? All these messianic prophecies. There's over 200 major, uh, close to 250, uh, major and minor messianic prophecies. And for one person to be born to fulfill all these, that's, I said, scientifically impossible. That's beyond the odds of being 10, 1 to 10 to the 250th power is what they, some mathematicians have done. And that is scientifically impossible. That goes beyond probability. And the guy said to me, who was initiating the conversation, he says, but don't you realize that all those messianic prophecies were written after the time of Christ? 
And I said, what do you mean? He says, when Constantine became emperor, he had the Bible all written, putting in these prophecies showing that Jesus would be the Messiah. They were written well after, 100, 320 years or so after the event. And the others were all, I mean, we got a crowd here at this point. They're standing around like, whoa, really? You know, how are you going to answer that? And I said, have you ever heard of the Dead Sea Scrolls? And he goes, well, I've heard of them. Well, I don't know much about them. I said, yeah, I don't think you do. <laughs> Let me tell you, um, just take the book of Isaiah alone. There's been at least five complete copies of the book of Isaiah found. They've all been tested by non-Christian public, you know, testing facilities and stuff, and all been uh, shown to be written somewhere between 250 B.C. to 150 B.C. And you know how many prophecies are in there? The whole crucifixion story, the resurrection is in there. You have all this stuff, many other prophecies that Jesus would be born the Son of God, that he is the eternal God. Um, he wasn't somebody who came along and was a man that elevated to a God. He was God. He would be born of a woman, as it says in Genesis 3.15, and he would be God. And I'm sitting here telling them all this, and they said, what's the point? And I said, don't you get it? These prophecies were written hundreds of years before. I just totally destroyed it. He goes, oh my gosh. I says, are you certain about this? I said, just pick up, just go to any Google thing and type in the age of the books of the Dead Sea Scrolls. You're going to see these things were written before the time of Christ. Yeah. yeah. And he goes, wow, I had no idea. And I said, well, that's why we're here. We're teachers. Yeah. <laughs> Last question I have on this subject. What do you think is the reason why so many people are not becoming believers and are not like what do you think the sticking point is as you've taught all around the world spoken to tons of people I have almost 2,000 studies that you've written what is the common theme is it pride is it just not knowing is it not thoughtfully thinking is it truly believing these things that are just not accurate like what if you could put your finger on some of the major problems what would that be pretty much the number one thing is like what we just saw last night did not know yeah. People do not know. They take hearsay all the time. Um, hearsay, oh, there's no archaeological evidence to support the Bible. Really? There's never been one provable archaeological discovery that goes against the Bible. Yeah. There's tens of thousands that support the Bible. People don't know that. People don't know um, how the Hebrew language is set up in the first 11 chapters of Genesis. That it is not allegory. The type of verbs that are used there in the Hebrew language are saying are only verbs that are used in historical fact, not in allegories, not in fairy tale type stuff. This is really true, but most people have never heard this. Yeah. They don't know it. Another part, yes, pride plays a major part of it, of course. Of course, it is prophesized too that the world is going to just totally rebel against God in the last days of the last days. So we know that's gonna happen, but from what I experience, it's most of the time people have no idea they just aren't trained or, or read on this, and they just take the hearsay. Yeah. So I, I know this has been a unique podcast. I really appreciate all of you that have watched or have listened. Um, a couple a couple ask, and we don't I don't do a ton of ask on this podcast. But a couple ask is number one: if you belong to a church or a community, um, please connect us with them. We're evidenceforfaith.org. Um, we have multiple ways that you can contact us. So even if you comment or reach out directly to me, I will put you in contact. Um, with the people uh, that can make that connection happen. Uh, we're trying to get Michael to as many strategic stages and connect with uh, as many people as possible because strategically, we want to be involved in the church and we want to be involved 
in your Bible studies. And so connect us with that. Number two is we're looking to raise support. Uh, Thankful that that God has provided to date. And there's been people that have come out of the woodworks and said, hey, I I love what you guys are doing. And I want to invest in things like equipment, invest in um, things where you can get your content that's already made digitized so that more people can know this stuff and get this content and be able to do trips like this. And so um, if you are interested in supporting or know people that uh, would love to support this ministry, again, evidenceforfaith.org, comment, reach out to us. Like um, I would love to have conversations with people that want to support our ministry or just figure out how they can help um, further this this mission. Um, And then last, uh, if you want to be involved um, in, in what we're doing, whether it's like you have a gift for teaching, whether you want to go on to a trip, we're going to Israel in January, um, whether you, regardless if you want to be involved, if you want to just help be an ambassador for us, again, evidenceforfaith.org. Um, and below, I will have maybe a better call to action, like an email or something, but just reach out because we're, we're trusting the Lord and God's been faithful and it's been amazing and it's been crazy to see people come out of the woodwork and help in every way possible. And we know that um, we're, we need to double down and really uh, go to the next level. And so these are some of the things that I personally am working on in the background. I know I, you see a lot of just the better wealth stuff, but I truly believe if we're going to w- live a wealthy life, that means living intentionally and living out the things that like we truly were on this earth for one time. And so let's use our talents, gifts, relationships, uh, and abilities to, to live a more fulfilling life. And I can't think of a better fulfillment than to see people come to know Jesus and for people to come to know this is why I believe what I believe and really equip them to not just have a feeling but um, really know why they believe in what they believe. Any any final words that you have? No, I just, um, we we do uh, look for people to let us come. I do science presentations, archaeological presentations, um, logical presentations, and I also do, believe it or not, just plain Bible lessons too. (laughs) I do a a series on on that, quite a few series on that. And I would love to to be able to come and and share stuff with your, your group, your organization, school, whatever, club whatever it would be, um, we would love to do that and, and just encourage you to get involved. If not in our ministry, get involved. We, I think we're coming into the last days of the last days. Um, whether or not, let's, you know, we still have the Great Commission. Let's get people out there, um, get the, the Word of God out, the Gospel out. But, you know, the Great Commission does say to train yeah. because it says to disciple. disciple. That's training. And that's a lot of what this ministry is, just to train. And that's what I'm hoping to do. All right, guys, we appreciate you. Appreciate hearing your thoughts, and thank you so much for watching to the end. Thank you so much for listening to the Better Wealth Podcast. It would mean the world to me if you could hit subscribe, leave a review, and share this with the people that you know and love.